What an amazing thought to think that one day we'll stand before the very God of the universe who literally spoke into existence all that is. And you're not going to believe this, but I have a feeling most of us are going to be speechless, Miss Paula. Even Miss Paula. <laughs> when we stand before God Almighty... In some respects, I think we're going to be absolutely speechless. And in other respects, we're going to be like, whoa, what an amazing thought. And one day. So, Miss Robin, Miss Sarah, the rest of you, thank you so much. Great, great opportunity to worship the Lord together. And now, all of our children, third grade, uh, sixth grade, what is it? First through sixth. Kids, first through sixth grade. You can follow Miss Robin for children's choir. Miss Robin and Apollo, Miss Sarah back there. So anybody who wants to go to the children's choir, that's going to be going on. And so you can make your way next door. Luke, you're almost there. Almost there. You just heard choir and you perked up because you've been singing all weekend. So he was excited about it. Guys, when, um, when I was in seminary, we had a professor there at New Orleans whose name was Jim Shaddix. That man could preach, Miss Isla. I'm telling you, he could preach. And he wrote a book called Power in the Pulpit. And it was a preaching book. It was for the preaching course that they taught there at New Orleans Seminary. Just an incredible um, look at what it meant to share the Word of God with, uh, with great power. And so, you know, one of the things that you do in seminary is you learn to practice. And so uh, sometimes you, you, if you're in a small church or whatever um, and you don't have a way to record yourself in a regular service, you might go back at a different time when nobody's there and record yourself. And I did that. Well, the, the sanctuary and the parsonage were literally right next to each other in the same yard. You didn't even have to cross the street. And so I would sneak over there and I would get the microphone and I'd put a cassette tape in. And I would preach to myself. And then I would listen to myself just to try and figure out if I made any sense. <laughs> Brother Paul, a lot of times I didn't. And I, I, I wanted to be able to preach like those guys that just had that booming voice. You know, they could, and the Lord said. You know, you try and learn how to say God in three syllables. But that just doesn't fit who I am. That was never me. I, I couldn't make that work. And in Dr. Shattuck's book, one of the things that he talks about in the very beginning of the book is when he was a young man, he, he went to church one Sunday and his pastor stood up after all of the music and after everything else that had taken place, stood up and he said to the congregation, brothers and sisters, I'm sorry to say, but I don't have a word from God this week. Let's pray and we're going to go home. And you could imagine that the feeling that just went through your mind went through the mind of everyone else there. And Dr. Shattuck said, what do you mean you don't have a word from God? Literally, anywhere you open this book, you have a word from God. Anywhere you open this book, you can find the truth of who God is and how God feels about you and who God wants you to understand who he is and what he expects of you. You can find it anywhere you look in this book. 
And so this morning, I'm not standing in front of you saying, I'm sorry, I don't have a word from the Lord today. I'm standing in front of you saying, amen, thank you, Miss Carol. I'm standing in front of you this morning saying, I have a bunch of words from the Lord today, and so I guess you're ready to stay a while. No, just kidding. Um, we have been given the very word of God. We don't need something else from God. We have the word of God. And in it, there is a, a clear and a very obvious pattern that follows. When you read through the Word of God, whether you start in Genesis or wherever you start, you find yourself drawn to the reality that there is something about God that is completely different than anything else you have ever encountered anywhere in the world. It's the very essence of who God is, is completely separate from this world. Now, He created all that this is. He spoke into existence things. He even took dirt and he formed man with his own hands. Do you ever think about that? You may not like your shape. It's not God's fault. But when he formed man, it was an act of tenderness and love. And that beautiful picture that you see in the Word of God, carries throughout the Word of God that each step of the way, whether God was having to allow judgment to come into the lives of people or whether God was showing grace to people in the midst of times when they had messed up and they deserved it. You ever been there? No matter which end of the spectrum that it was on, you see a very clear and and present, um, obvious word from the Lord. And that word is this. There is hope if you turn to Him. There's hope. There's there's something beyond just this moment. And we get the opportunity, brothers and sisters, as children of God, to be a part of clearly expressing to all those around us the truth of His message. And if that's going to be true, if we're going to be able to do that, we have to know the message. We have to know the message that God has for us. And so in your worship bulletin, um, there's a little t- uh, uh, insert there that's got some blanks. And so I want to remind our teenagers, our children, if you fill that out and put your name on it and, and give it to me after the service, your name goes in the drawing and you can win some pretty cool gift cards. Although sometimes I forget and I just give out cash. I think that still spins some places. Um. And so make sure that you're doing that. This morning, we're going to look at the message that Jesus said that he came for. Now, early on in Jesus' ministry, or Jesus' life, we know, was born in Bethlehem, then he, he went to Egypt, then he came back, and, and he was in Nazareth, and, and he just kind of hung out there for a while. And in sometime around 30 years old, which is about the time that a Jewish man would, would basically step out on his own and be expected to be able to do his own thing, and, and kind of finished his apprenticeship. He grew up with his dad, uh, earthly dad, Joseph, who was a carpenter, and I'm sure he was out there cutting wood and, and sanding stuff and, and chopping things and whatever it took to make whatever furniture and things that Joseph made. And he stepped out of that, and, and then you know the first miracle that Jesus did. He went to this party, a wedding, 
and um, the wedding was going on and everything was going fine and everybody was, was all all right and then all of a sudden they ran out of wine. Now, we're Baptists, okay? We don't serve wine in the weddings here at the church. But in that moment, that was a critical moment for this family. Embarrassment. There was uh, apprehension. And it wasn't like a wedding feast then just was like two hours and you go home. This is days that's going on. And so Jesus, we know that first miracle, he turns water into wine. And it was evidently very good wine. Because they said, wow, he kept the best for last. And then right out of that moment, right out of that time, we come into the first real sermon of Jesus. The first time that Jesus actually um, is recorded in Scripture as, as kind of preaching, if you will. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 4. The book of Luke, chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. Would you stand with me in honor of his word? Luke 4, 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was being praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, or this is his introduction, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. And I thank you, God, that as we examine it this morning, your message is crystal clear. That from the first recorded time that you spoke about why you sent your son, you left nothing to be guessed about, nothing to chance. But you clearly articulated your purposes. Help us today, Father, as we look at those purposes, as we look at your message, to understand our response to that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I want to talk to you specifically about this whole message that Jesus is going to preach. Now, later on in the passage, if you keep reading, um, Jesus talks about how they're going to reject him and all this kind of stuff. But the, the... thrust of the beginning of this message, the beginning um, part is always focused on Scripture for, uh, for this passage. And so I want to look specifically at what Jesus thought was important to share to the people. Because I don't know about you, but if I had a chance to go back and listen to Jesus' preaching, and I could be in the audience as Jesus is preaching his very first message, 
I think that would be something that would be very important to me. I remember my very first message I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, ago about it. And I remember how, how as I shared that message, I didn't really understand then, but I do today, how God was bringing me from one reality into a different reality. And it kind of set in, in motion much of what my entire life has been like since then. And here in this passage, Jesus kind of gives an outline, kind of gives a, a foretelling of what it is that he's come to do and what they could expect as a result of Jesus' coming. So the first thing I want you to see in this passage, you see in verse 18, he's come back into Nazareth, he's gone to the synagogue as was his family's custom. Now that's very important because, you know, parents, if you want to know what your children are going to do when they come back home, Probably what they've seen you train them to do along the way. And he's obviously, his mom and, and Joseph had, had brought him to the temple uh, or to the synagogues very often. So he comes back to the synagogues and he opens up the book of Isaiah. And he didn't just open it up randomly, but it says that he looked for the place. In verse 17, he opened the book and he found the place where it was written. And so he went specifically to this spot. And when he got to this spot, this is the message that not only was for that moment, but it outlined the rest of Jesus' entire ministry, and it outlines our message today. So first of all, I want you to look in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach. The source of the message is a critical thing to understand when we think about what we should do and what we need to understand as believers if we're going to fulfill the call that God's placed on our lives and what the world around us needs to know when we're telling them about Jesus. And that is, what is the source of this message? Where did this stuff that we're talking about come from? Is this a result of some focus group where we all got together, together and we sat down and we said, okay, let's come up with a story that sounds good. Let's come up with something that would, would fit the, the narrative that our world today needs, and we're going to put this all together, and we're going to orchestrate it in such a way that, that this is going to be the story that's going to work. No. That's not what happened. In fact, if you read through the, the Bible, you're going to be surprised to see all of these different stories, because that's really what many of the books are, all of these different stories that have been gathered together and are all one are written across thousands of years by many different authors, most of whom never met one another. And yet, when you bring them together as one whole, the continuity is amazing. It's, it's unbelievable how God's worked. And so what is the source of the message that, that we are clinging to? Because honestly, guys, if it's just what we came up with on our own, if it's what we read in the Sunday school book, if it's what we voted on in a business meeting, if it's what some preacher told you, if that's the source, of, if that's the genesis of everything you believe, it really is not all that important, is it? Because you can find somebody else who will tell you something else. You can read another book that will tell you something else. You take a second vote and something else might come out to be. But there's a source to this message that is completely different than anything. And look at what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now remember, he's reading from the book of Isaiah. One of the early prophets, or not early, one of the prophets of Israel who prophesied in a very difficult time in Israel's past. And it was not a popular thing to be a prophet. And so Isaiah is saying, guys, I want you to understand something. This didn't start with me. 
This came because the Spirit of God is speaking through me to you. And Jesus took that same passage and applied it to himself. He says there later in verse 21, Today this prophecy has been fulfilled in your sight. What you've heard, this is what's true. You're seeing it play out right here and right now. And so as Jesus is proclaiming this truth, as Jesus is talking to them about what's going on, the source of the message that Jesus wants us to understand today is it comes from God himself. Jesus didn't just come up with this as a man. We know Jesus wasn't just a man. He came straight from the Old Testament into the New Testament saying, this prophecy, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this is happening. And so the source of the message makes it a spiritual message. A spiritual message. And because it's a spiritual message, it conflicts with our fleshly nature and our fleshly expectations. You and I have our own ideas and our own designs on what it ought to look like. We have our own plans about what the gospel ought to be. You know, God ought to be fair to this group, or God ought to be more generous to this group, or God needs to look out for that group, or it's not a source of the message was not from man. It was, it was from God. And, and many times when that happens and when that's true, we notice something. It doesn't fit our opinions. It doesn't fit our desires. It's not what we were looking for. I want you to understand something. God's not really interested in what you're looking for. Jesus didn't come to earth to try and win friends and influence people. He came because he had a message that people needed to hear, and it would, as, as, a, as a spiritual message, it was going to make people uncomfortable. And here's the truth, guys. Today, if you carry the message of Jesus Christ... People are going to be uncomfortable with you. Not everybody's going to accept it. Not everybody's going to like it. And there's not anything you can do about what they feel except compromise the Word of God, and I will never. The Word of God has to stand for itself. And if we don't like it, change, because He's not. The biblical word for that is repent. Revise, start over, change direction. Its spiritual nature is going to conflict with our fleshly natures and our expectations. Because it's a spiritual message, uh, spiritual message by nature, it's also going to be able to cross demographics and across cultural boundaries. What's so amazing is you and I have absolutely nothing in common with the people who Jesus was speaking to that day. We don't, our lives are so different from the first century believers. So different. Not, when you got up this morning, you didn't wonder whether or not your refrigerator was going to be working when you went to go get some water out, did you? You didn't have to wonder when you flipped the switch on the lights if that was going to come on, unless you didn't pay your bill last month. You didn't have to wonder when you, when you walked outside how long it was going to take you to ride a camel to church today, did you? Anybody ride your camel? Most of us probably didn't have any trouble finding something we could put on, some kind of clothes. I got a, a, a comment this morning about my socks again. So today we got pink socks with yellow bananas. And I told him, I start with the socks and then I dress the rest of me. It has to match the socks. People in Jesus' time could not understand that, guys. That would have never crossed their minds sitting in an air-conditioned room with lights and, and camera videoing this and, and TV screens to help us see that. Uh, 
None of that. We have nothing in common with those people. Not only that, we didn't grow up in a religious system that required us to follow all kinds of laws all day long. You think your parents are strict? You ought to go back to Jesus' time, kids. I mean, like, you had to wash your hands. You're not going to believe this. You had to wash your hands a certain way. It wasn't just wash your hands with soap. I mean, no. You, you had to dip them a certain number of times. And, you, and here's another cool thing. If, if you were walking down the street and, and you got a piece of hair or something in your mouth and you had to spit it out, and it was the Sabbath and you spit it out, then that stirred up dust in the ground. And when you stirred up dust in the ground, that was considered plowing. And by plowing, you made yourself ceremonially unclean because you've worked. Could you imagine if you, you had to count the number of steps to church every Sunday? And so if you lived too far away, you know what you had to do? You had to get up Saturday night and walk most of the way so that you had enough steps on Sunday to get there the rest of the way. You want to live that way? We don't have anything in common with them except the gospel that they needed is the same gospel that we needed. And crossing all those cultural barriers, crossing all those realities of who we are and what we experience today, Jesus still makes sense to us. Why? Because we know that deep down inside of us, there is an empty place that nothing else in the world could ever hope to fill because the only thing that can satisfy the heart of man, the only thing that can change us from the inside out, the only thing that can revive our spirit within us is a relationship with God. And that's the promise of a spiritual message. It crosses every boundary. Because it's spiritual in nature, it exists outside of the limits that man live in. It's not bound by what's happening right now. It's not, it's not just for today and not for tomorrow. It's not for some people and, and different for other people. No, the message that God has, the same way that I came to Jesus is the same way that you must come to Jesus is the same way that Peter had to come to Jesus is the same way that Paul had to come to Jesus. It's the same way that everyone has ever had to come to Jesus. And that's just with a humble heart and a childlike faith and saying, Lord, yes, I believe and I trust and I follow. It crosses things. Only a spiritual message could. What man could have come up with something that would work? But not only is it a sp the spiritual message, uh, the source of the message makes it spiritual, it makes it powerful. This is a powerful message. Paul says this about it in Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Some of you know people like this. I've gone to church several times with people. In fact, we've had some folks in our own church that have had this testimony. That they have lived their whole life, or, or a lot of their lives, going to church. Maybe mom brought them, maybe dad brought them. And then later on, they kind of drifted away, and then they started coming back to church. And They kind of were part of the church group, but they were just kind of part of the church group. Nothing really mattered, it didn't really sink in, they just, it was what was expected of them, or it was advantageous in some scenarios, for them to be a part of a church, maybe for their careers or for their social life or for the girl they were trying to date, teenagers. But it didn't really matter to them. It wasn't theirs. And so they just kind of, they were just kind of there, and then all of a sudden it, it clicked. And all of a sudden it made sense. And when it made sense, everything else changed. 
And I can give you person after person after person who had been exposed to all the church that they could have possibly been exposed to, but until they met the powerful message of Jesus Christ, the hope that comes with a message that comes not about what people expect of you, that you need to go to church because mom and dad said so, or you need to go to church because that's what your, your job would, would look good for your job, or you need to go to church because that's what the girl that you're dating thinks that you ought to do. None of that, when it becomes about, whoa, you mean Jesus? did everything that he did on the cross for me? If I were the only one who would ever turn to him, Jesus would have gone to the cross for me? And when that becomes real to you, that's a powerful message and it changes things. And no one who ever surrenders their life to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior would would ever say anything other than that was an amazing, life changing experience. And if you can't say that you've had that, then you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You might have accepted him as the reason you go to church. You might have accepted him as the reason to keep someone off your back. But I want you to understand something. The spiritual nature of this message means that it can transform who you are. And we're going to look in Scripture at what that looks like as God transforms us, because it breaks down walls. It changes realities. It's the conduit of salvation. The the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important message any of us could ever know. You could leave from here today, and we could educate you to the point that you could go off and become a, a, a doctor and make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. We could help you to understand how to, how to build something or how to code a, a new app for your smartphone or from your smartphone or whatever. We could help you do any of those things and, and, and you could be so successful in the world's eyes. But at the end of all of that, you die. And none of that matters when you're dead. What matters is, is there real life in you? Is there something more than just this stuff? Because you could pile it up and pile it up and pile it up, but whatever you pile up, you're leaving behind. It's a spiritual message. So the source of the message is spiritual. What's the thrust of the message? What is it that we see Jesus preaching? Keep going in the passage. He says, He's anointed me, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So the first thing we see in the message is the gospel. It is the the truth, the good news, the the hope of all the world that only through relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the essence of the gospel. Broke down as simply and as easily as I can, can do it. Anybody in here can understand this. You ready? You messed up. You deserve punishment. Jesus knew that. He took the punishment so that you could have life if you'll commit it to him. Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took upon himself all of your failures, all of your mistakes, all of the things you've ever done wrong, the consequences that attach naturally to all of those things in a spiritual sense. Jesus took all of that upon himself voluntarily. Y'all are sitting up front, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pick on you. If mom got mad at you, 
And you had a punishment coming, a real punishment coming. I don't mean like I'm disappointed in you. I mean like a real punishment coming. And you knew it was you were going to have to go shovel the barn for, by yourself for days. <laughs> and, and your sister said, Mom, I'll, I'll take it. How would you feel about that? Pretty good? She wouldn't do that. <laughs> Most of us wouldn't do that, right? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't shovel the barn. But Jesus said, you're guilty. Taylor, you're guilty. You're a sinner. You have done the wrong thing. You've had the wrong thoughts. You've said the wrong thing. You've had the wrong motivations in life. And because of that, you deserve the wrath all of the wrath that I can pour out upon you. But instead, I'm going to take the wrath. Instead, I'm going to bear the cost. That's what Jesus did. He took upon himself the sins of all mankind. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And in doing that, he demonstrated that physically by taking the consequences of a death on the cross for something that he had never done. He was an innocent man. And his physical death on the cross was a horrible thing that we don't even like to think about how terrible that would have been. But listen, that was just a part. That was to demonstrate how far he would go. It was the worst that they could have imagined in their time that they could have treated someone. And Jesus said, I'm going to take the absolute worst this world has to offer. But it paled in comparison to the reality that all of the things that you and I have ever done, Jesus said, it's my fault. I'll take the blame. And I crucified him. Why is it important that he died? It's important that he died because he could never take that back. He could never say on the cross, oh, I changed my mind. You still have to go shovel the barn. I'm not doing this. He never did that. He never said, I I'm going to take it back. No, he went all the way as far as he could go, and he left himself with no way to back out. He gave his life. And then three days later, even death couldn't hold him. Stone rolled away. The grave clothes stayed where they were, but Jesus was alive. And he says to you and I, trust me. Call upon me. Place your faith in me. Accept that what I did was for you. And because what I did was for you, you don't have to pay the price anymore. You have been set free. You have been released. Look at what it says. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Release to the captives. The word literally means pardon. It doesn't change the, the reality of, of what you've done. It just releases you from the consequences of the action. 
You were still guilty of what you were guilty of, but God says, even though you were guilty of what you were guilty of, the gospel has come that if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you will lead your heart to him, if you will call upon him as your savior and your Lord, you will be released from the consequences of those actions. What a beautiful thought. That whatever it is that you've ever done, God can take the way consequences of that now in our own hearts we know who we really are and I want you to stop for a moment and just think back to the worst thing in your opinion that you've ever done the biggest mistake you've ever made we're not going to have confession don't worry you can confess it to God I want you to think about the most despicable ugly vile horrible thing that's ever been true about you. That thing that if, if we broadcast it right now, you would be sh- so ashamed you would run out of this building. The gospel message is this, that if you call upon the name of the Lord as your Savior, if you surrender your life to Him, even that has no hold on you. What a beautiful picture of love he said he's come that he might proclaim the release of the captives and not only that to bring recovery of sight to the blind now we think about this in a physical perspective again could you imagine no i can't imagine even when i close my eyes i can still imagine colors I can still imagine things that I've seen. But what if you had never been able to see anything at all? And then you could see. Then all of a sudden your eyes were open and you're like, whoa. Have you seen the videos on the internet about the colorblind glasses? They're so cool. There's these new glasses, new technology that you can get for people that have severe colorblindness. That you put them on, and when you do, all of a sudden, they see colors. And there's, there's videos of people that are putting them on, wearing them for the very first time, and the reaction that they have is unbelievable. Most of them just break out in tears, because all of a sudden, the world that had once been black and white now is in color. You, some of you are old enough to remember the first color TV. Do you remember what that was like? You're like, Whoa! I don't remember that, but I do remember the very first time that the Baton Rouge newspaper ever printed a a regular part of the newspaper in color. And it was the, um, the wedding of Charles and Diana. And they had color on the front. They made a big deal out of it in the paper that it was the color, first color portrait they'd ever posted or printed in post back then. Recovery, all of a sudden, something that had been missing, that had never existed, became reality. And guys, that's what God will do for you if you have a relationship with Him. Those things that you've been blind to your whole life and you never understood, things that never made sense, things that you could never accept, all of a sudden it's like, bam! Your eyes are opened and it starts to make sense. And you look back and you think, I don't appreciate all of the things that I went through, but because of all of the things that I went through, God has equipped me for this moment to serve whoever he's put in front of me. 
And things that you would say, Lord, I would have done anything to avoid, but I would do nothing to change. All of a sudden, God gives you them as tools to use to make a difference in the lives of other people. That recovery of sight, the brokenness of sin can be redeemed and a new start is available. People that that were separated and unable to even know the reality of God, when they come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, boom, it makes sense. And maybe today that's you, you're sitting and you're thinking, all that sounds cool and all that sounds awesome, but you know what? I I can't even imagine, this God, what do you mean? Listen, if you will trust in Him as your Lord and Savior, as someone who has been there, if you will trust in Him as your Lord and Savior, you will understand the moment you say yes to the Lord, you will understand how amazing it is. It's like someone blinded and now can see. That's what he said he came to do. He came to, to bring the recovery of sight to the blind. He's not just talking about physically, guys. He did do physical healings of blindness, but that wasn't all. You see, the spiritual blindness is much worse than a physical blindness. Because spiritual blindness condemns you to a life apart from the gospel. It blinds you to the reality of what God is doing and why God's done it. It makes you look at Christians and think how crazy we must be. It makes you look at Christmas and think all of those stories about Jesus being born and laid in a manger, all those things are weird. It makes you look at Easter and think, what do you mean Jesus died on a cross? What, what kind of people was it? What kind of God is it that would allow his son to die on the cross? It all makes sense the moment you say yes to the Lord. Because all of a sudden you realize every bit of that was for you. And your eyes are opened. And the gospel message brings healing to the eyes of your heart. And now you can open your eyes and see the glorious hand of God working all around you. I look back now at my life in retrospect and I see so many things that God was doing that I never noticed in the moment, but now I see. I thank him for that. He said he came, that that he would preach the gospel to the poor, he'd proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and he says to set free those who are oppressed. The concept of freedom is not nearly as precious to those who have never lived through bondage. Some of you served in the military in some pretty ugly spots. Whether it was Vietnam or... I did a study of my grandfather who was in World War II and he was one of the first frogmen kind of guys that... and, And his job was to swim onto the shore on islands in the Pacific and draw out maps of where the enemy had machine gun bunkers and, and different armaments in place and then swim back out to the boat and tell them so that when they made the invasion, they would know what to look for. And, and he talked about, not openly, but in his journals, he talked about having to swim on the shore and see people being tortured and having to swim away and not able to do anything. And I want to tell you something. For the rest of that man's life, he saw those images. Those those things haunted him. Why? Because he understood what it was really like to not be in the midst of freedom. He realized what it was like to have an oppressive force on him in in a fleshly way. He realized what it was like to be weighed down by the shackles of of tyranny. But I want to tell you something that pales in comparison to how people live apart from Jesus. 
Their hearts are shackled. Their minds are shackled. They can't even begin to understand the concepts of freedom. And I don't mean freedom like we think about in America, freedom of speech, freedom to wave our flag, freedom to come to church. All those things are fantastic. But the heart issue, the main thing that we have to understand about the freedom is a freedom to know that we have love and that we have life and that we have hope. You see, that's what being under bondage does. It, it sucks away the life and, and it sucks away the love and it sucks away the, the hope and people just kind of function until they stop functioning. And this week I was in Fresno with my kids and they were at a concert downtown Fresno and, and we, I went down to scout out the area so I was trying to find parking. And I tell you, it's crazy to park in downtown Fresno. Golly. And as I was looking for parking, there were literally hundreds of homeless people. And all of them had something in common. This is what they had in common. They just existed. They didn't have any hope in their life. They had nothing to look forward to. Maybe some of you have been there. They just were empty. And that emptiness is so heavy. It doesn't make sense. How can empty be heavy? But when you're empty, it's like the weight of the world. And so God came to bring freedom to those people. Who are those people? Me and you. Because we're wandering in a world without a home. Apart from a relationship with God. And we're just kind of existing. But when God brings freedom, man, things change. There's a story in Luke chapter 7, just a few chapters over from this. A woman has anointed Jesus, and everybody's looking at it, and they're thinking, what's going on? Why is she doing all that? And um, Jesus tells a parable. And in the parable, he says these two people both owed a lot of money. One of them owed a whole lot. One of them just owed some. And the one that owed some was forgiven of his debt, and the one who owed a lot was forgiven of his debt, And then Jesus asked him, he said, which one do you think loved more? And this was the answer. He said, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven, for she who loved much. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. When you've been in deep bondage, you receive your freedom you can't hold that back you can't hold it back it changes everything so that comes now to our third point let's look at the timing of the message verse 19 he says he sent him to Proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then verse 21. 
And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What's the timing of the message? Today. Jesus said to them, right here, right now, this scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. Now that was such an extraordinary statement. Because to them, that meant that Jesus was saying that everything that God was talking about, see, the Jewish people understood this was a prophecy of the coming Messiah. This was a, a prophecy that the one who they had been looking for was on the way. Jesus is saying, ta-da, I'm here. Wake up. Hello, people. I want you to understand something. Everything you've been waiting on is right here in front of you. Everything you've been looking for is right here in front of you. Everything that you've needed is right here in front of you. What are you going to do about it? And the clarity of the gospel demands me to tell you today. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your sight. Jesus has come. Hope has come. Life is available. Change is possible. Release is waiting for you. Freedom is yours if you will call upon the name of the Lord. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do something. There's not some form you have to fill out. There's not some waiting list you have to get on. There's not an application process, and there are no fees. The issue is today, God has come for you to offer to you the greatest gift that you could have ever imagined, that which you've always needed but you never knew, that which you've hoped for and you've longed for but you never dreamed were possible, God has it for you today, right here, right now. Today, you know the truth. Today, you are accountable to God for your response. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians Chapter 6, and working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, don't listen to all of this that I'm telling you for nothing. Don't leave out of here thinking, well, it was no big deal. I'm glad that's over. I can go on about the rest of my life. Don't hear all of this for nothing. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listen to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today. And guys, if you don't tell people that truth with that level of urgency, you are shortchanging the gospel. If you just tell them, well, at some point, if you want to accept Jesus Christ, give me a call. Here's my, ca here's my card. No! No! What, what if today is their last day? What if today is the day that they stand before God? What if today is the day you stand before God? Do you want to stand before God and say, I gave him my card? I hope he doesn't call tomorrow. What if today was the day? Because today is the day. Today is the day that you've been given an opportunity. This time, this moment, right now, you have been given the chance. And I beg you, I plead with you, do not take it in vain. I urge you not to think, oh, well, that was glad that's over with. I can move on with my life. No, if God hears your heart, he says he listened. And on this day of salvation, he helped. 
And on the day that he helped, now is the time of salvation. There is an urgency of the message that we cannot neglect. We can get so busy with everything else. With teaching people to memorize the books of the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. With teaching people how to, how to sit in church and, and look presentable. How to, how to dress. What hats can you wear. All of these things. I love your hat, Miss Barbara. We can go, we can look at all that stuff. We can talk about all that junk. But listen, there ought to be an urgency in our hearts with the message of Jesus Christ because everything else we can tell people will fade away, but their relationship with God will last for eternity. Call people to repentance. Call people to answer. Don't just present the gospel as a matter of information or facts, but present the gospel as an opportunity of a lifetime, of an opportunity of an eternity. Because that's exactly what it is. When you're teaching a Sunday school class, don't teach through the Sunday school class and give lip service to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Proclaim the truth and call people to relationship. When you're leading a Bible study, when you're leading an event in our church, when you're talking to someone in your family, when God opens the door for you to share the truth of the gospel, ask for a response. What can they say? No. If you don't ask them, what have they said? No. They're in the same place they were in if you didn't ask. But if you don't ask, will they ever answer? There's an urgency that must be a part of it. Jesus said, hey guys, today, this has been fulfilled in your sight. Now he still had the cross ahead of him. What did he mean by fulfilled? They had been given everything they needed. Jesus was there. You have everything you need. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have never given your life to Him like I've talked about this whole time, do it today. I urge you, don't receive what I've told you in vain. Don't sit back and think, I have time. I have another opportunity. When I get my life together, when everything else is okay, when, when I find this area of my life complete, no, listen, today is the day of salvation, and I urge you, Call upon Him. We even have a time that we set aside in our service to give you an opportunity to do that where where somebody is here that will pray with you on the spot. Because today is the day of salvation. And if we're going to be the church God's called us to be, if we're going to be the believers that God's called us to be, if we're going to be the Christians that God's called us to be, it's going to be one of the reasons it's going to be true of us is because we understand, we know the message, and we faithfully share it over and over and over again. How many times will you tell someone the truth of Jesus if they keep saying no? How many times will you give them an opportunity? How many times will you beg of them? It should be until you never have another time to bake. That's the urgency of the moment. One day, the last person to receive Christ before the events of the future begin to unfold, the last person will be numbered. Somebody will be the, have the honor of being there in the moment where that last person turns her heart to Christ. What if it's you?
What if it's you? What if it's your child that turns? What if it's your grandchild that turns? What if it's your friend, your neighbor, your husband, your wife? Today, Scripture is fulfilled in your sight. Today, everything you need is in front of you. Would you respond? How do I do that? If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible's very clear. The book of Romans tells us that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't just mean say, oh, I believe Jesus. No, it's to say, I believe that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient to pay the penalty of my sin, and I commit myself to living in his honor for the rest of my life. That's a big ask. That's a big decision. Yes, it is. But it's no bigger than going to the cross for you. It's no bigger than taking upon himself all of the weight of your sin. Do you want to keep carrying it? Or do you want to give it to him? If that's your heart this morning, as we stand in a moment and sing, I want you to come to the front and you talk to Pastor Corey or I. And say, that's me. I, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Believers, those of you who have already done that, if any of us have any voice left after today to talk to someone else, shame on us. If we didn't use all that we have, that that last one may one day hear. Father, right here and right now, God, I ask that you do what only you can do. The eloquence of words, the persuasion of men are absolutely powerless, but we know that you can change lives this isn't a, a, a fleshly message. This is a spiritual message. You came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And Lord, I pray that if there's one here today that does not know you, they've never experienced the grace and the love. They don't know what it means to be set free, to have recovery. They don't know what it means to, to be restored into who you've made them to be. Then Lord, today, give them the faith that they need to step out and call upon you. God, help us believers to be faithful to not only know the message, but to proclaim it with all that we are, because today is the day of salvation. Lord, would you do what only you can do now? In Jesus' name.